Good Evans, it's the Bobcast. Welcome to episode 53 with me, your host, Bob Evans, although my friends call me Kev or Kevin Mitchell if you want to be formal. How are you going? Welcome back. Uh, if you've listened before, if you're new, welcome. Um, so I'm going to keep this pretty brief, uh, this intro, because it's quite a long chat that I have with my guests, um, and I don't want this episode to blow out too long. So there's really only one major thing that I want to let everybody know about, and that is that um, I'm going to be doing a live stream Bobcast for all the people in lockdown, people in New South Wales, people in Victoria, which, uh, which includes me. It's a really difficult situation for people in New South Wales and Victoria at the moment. Um, I don't want to dwell on that. I just want to acknowledge it and let those of you listening in New South Wales and Victoria know that I'm right there with you. It's tough um, and I'm, I'm sending you lots of love and strength um, to get through it. But uh, So what I wanted to do was do a live streamed episode of Good Evans, It's a Bobcast. So Good Evans, It's a live stream Bobcast is happening on Saturday, the 4th of September at 7pm, that's Eastern Time, 7pm Eastern Time. Um, and it's going to be guest starring uh, your friend of mine, Josh Pike. Um, it will be streaming on Facebook, I believe. But uh, check out, <laughs> I should know, I should know, I should know. But check out... Um, Go to my Facebook page or my Twitter or my Instagram or go to bobevans.com.au um, and and uh, f- find out whatever all the details. But yes, the main thing is it's it's this coming Saturday, September 4th, and it starts at 7 p.m. And it'll be with Josh Pike and it's going to be heaps of fun. Um, all right, so episode 53, um, I sat down and had a chat with Tim and Kelly from the Queensland band scream feeder scream feeder are a band that i've loved since i was in high school i talk a little bit about in the episode about how i came to discover them and they're just a band that mean a lot to me they're a band that um uh still to this day mm, just mm, take me back to being 16 17 years old um they were a band that i discovered at the same time that i was you know getting really obsessed for the first time about music as a teenager and dreaming of starting a band of my own. Um, and these guys kind of came along in my last year of high school and, um, yeah, they really meant a lot to me and continue to mean a lot to me. So it was really lovely to finally sit down and have a, a chat via Zoom, of course. Um, uh, but, yeah, because, I mean, obviously we've been in each other's orbit for a couple of decades now, played many festivals and shows, but I've never actually sat with them for, like, an hour and t- over an hour and talked like we did the other night. So, um it was really great. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy listening to it as well. Um, and yeah, hopefully I will see you on Saturday, the 4th of September at 7pm on my Facebook page for the live streaming of Good Evans It's a Bobcast. Okay, let's get into it. Um, all the usual things, they're swearing, so if you don't like bad language um, or adult content, um, steer clear. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, Tim and Kelly from Screamfeeder. This is episode 53 of Good Evans. It's a Bobcast.
Welcome to the Bobcast, Tim and Kelly. How you going, guys? Hello. Great. Really How are you going? Uh, I'm pretty good. I um, People listening will have missed out on the last um, probably 15 minutes, I guess, of us um, working out uh, how to, first of all, get the three of us on the same Zoom meeting. Um, and then get every, it, was, it was actually quite funny. It was a real um, illustration of... Um, you know, I hope I'm not offending you here, but uh, three three middle-aged people desperately trying to <laughs> <laughs> make make technology work. Settle down like there. Complete morons. <laughs> um, so, hey, last time I saw you guys was at um, the Spring Loaded Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, which was in Sydney in May, um, and it was a big. Uh, Big festival held at uh, Randwick Racecourse, and you know there were like three thousand people there. And does it does it kind of freak you out that like that happened a few months ago, and now we're living in a world where I can't even imagine getting into New South Wales before Christmas. <laughs> Look, Let alone yeah. playing a fucking festival. Well, you know, so that Sydney festival, there was an outbreak in Sydney just before the whole thing happened so we mm. weren't really sure if it was gonna work or not and then I ended up changing my flight so as soon as we finished playing I stayed around for about a half an hour and then I left and flew back to Brisbane because I just wasn't sure what was going to happen that's right yeah yeah I remember seeing you very briefly as you before you left yeah, yeah. and so and you didn't get to stay in the fancy hotel that you I booked, booked a fancy hotel <laughs> and I didn't get to stay and I was so fucking gutted because we we're always staying in like really dingy fucking places at Tim Books and I was like it's my turn (laughs) I I delegated the job to you and it was like oh god what have you done (laughs) fancy schmancy Um, had you guys guys played any of those before then or or since no um oh no we did did. the Bribey Island Yeah, yeah that's right and then we were meant to do Darwin and Darwin fell through, and yes. they're all just falling over at the moment. We were, yes, we were on the Darwin bill, which I was really looking forward yeah. to because yeah, same. I was just desperate to, well, just desperate to get out of my state for starters, mm. and um, I was really looking forward to some sunshine. We've never been to Darwin. We'd never played there or anything. You're kidding me! How? No, we've how never done how it. has that happened? Just never. Did I don't know? Wow. <laughs> don't blame <I> me. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault, Kel. You know Not when me. that's probably Dean's. <laughs> when it's Dean's fault. When this uh, when this Darwin Spring Loaded happens and it's been rescheduled to next year, um, you guys should book like the best five star hotel that you can find. Oh, don't fucking <laughs> <laughs> Tim, tell your story. <laughs> um. So I went to Darwin on a holiday because we weren't playing and I still had my ticket and I got to this hotel. I got to the hotel that I'd booked for the band and it was the shittest hotel in the world. I was like, (laughs) holy shit. If Kelly was here, she'd be fucking freaking. (laughs) And it was, you know, like the light and the fan didn't work at the same time. The fridge and the freezer was just this ice monster. (laughs) It was a nightmare. It was like you're in Thailand like 20 years ago. Yeah, but you would have loved it. Tim, you'd just be right at home in that. (laughs) Were, Were you there by yourself? With my girlfriend. 
Oh, you went there with your girlfriend. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's cool that you were able to kind of make a holiday out, out of it. Um, yeah, the timing was amazing. Like, it was completely lucky that we were able to go and do it. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was really bummed that uh, that fell through. But, I mean, the way things are at the moment, oh, God, it's just like everything. It, yeah, it just seems like now everything's being pushed back to... I mean, it may be different for you guys because you're in Queensland and things are... Things are relatively good up there at the moment, right? So, Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, we've played a few festivals. Um, we've played some of our own shows. Like, we did a bunch of shows in July last... This, hang on, this last year? Was it last year? Fuck. Yeah, last year. Like, yeah, 20, the, time's so weird. 20. Yeah, time's so weird that I, yeah. I, I can't really get a grasp on time anymore. But we... Totally. So, after the lockdown, the very first one, we did some shows in July... And we played up yeah. on the Sunshine Coast and um, we did a zoo show, but they were all seated with like capacity of 100 people. And, you know, right. p- could you imagine playing to the, the zoo, like all seated, like 100 people and there were tables with like candles and it, like it was really yeah. lovely actually. It was, it was great. Yeah, we yeah. loved doing these shows because it was really fun and it was just different. Everyone in the audience was super yeah. engaged and it was a really nice way to play, just different. And um, so we did play a bunch of shows and then this uh, we then we can't, we had to cancel our national tour that we'd booked for like, was it like May and May, June? Um, yeah, like, like it was last year. year. So uh, yeah, just over a year ago. So that was postponed along with our recording uh, with um, Anna Laverty. That was postponed as well. Oh, right. So because that's down, that would have been down here in Melbourne. No, we were going to do it here. We had to bring her over. Yeah, yeah, right. And she couldn't come because she was going straight from Brisbane to (laughs) Perth, and um, we'd had like a lockdown the week, the day that she was coming over was the end of our lockdown, and she wouldn't be able to go to Perth from Queensland because she needs twenty eight days of like no. community transmission so she wouldn't be able to go to to perth and she had work booked and her family were there waiting for her it was all crazy so we've been able to postpone that album uh, recording that got done in oh no this like just last month or june (laughs) wasn't it just recently ish (laughs) and and um we were just, you know, getting ready to go on that postponed national tour and we're pulling the plug like pretty much today. Like tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, man, I'm really sorry. Uh, um, it's but just look, you constant. Know, for, for what it's worth, yeah, like, uh, you know, I'm in the same boat with a solo tour that I booked that was supposed to be, um, uh, it was supposed to be the, pretty much the whole month of June. You know, mm. it started at the beginning of June, all done by the end of June. That was like album tour, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I managed, ironically, the only week that I've been able to do was the New South Wales week. I have a, every other show in every other state has been postponed. Uh, and now t- to the point where the WA shows have been postponed multiple times. Now I'm doing them in like the week before Christmas. Wow. wow. Um, and my Melbourne show, which is going to be announced on Monday is being postponed now till next year. Oh, These are shows that we're so, so look, I'm totally with you. How have you handled, how have you guys kind of handled all of that? Because it's one thing when it's like festivals and stuff where all the logistics and everything, I mean, you have to get yourself there, but like, um, you know, it's somebody else's kind of gig. 
but when it's your own tour and your own shows and there's a lot of work and a lot of and, and there's you know you've got to spend money at the front end of that to mm. make it all happen yeah how, how have you guys kind of um navigated your way through that stuff uh well so this is the second tour we've had to postpone so kind of by now it's a bit like okay we've done this before we can do it we can put the flights in credit and do all the crap you've got to do all the cancellations but we've been lucky because we got to record an album in the meantime so that was awesome yeah, and it yeah. took all of our attention and we you know we really worked hard before it in the leading up weeks writing the songs and getting more ready so that that was actually great and then when we went to the studio we found ourselves even though it was our hometown we were in a bubble and it was awesome because like we had was, a lockdown you know we, we captured that we captured that thing and got in the bubble and and had a great time during like the you know we've had backwards and forwards and and tim's had to do a lion's share of like the work of like um rebooking and uh putting all of that money for flights into travel bank with virgin you know like you don't get that money back it sits there and that's the other thing you just take this massive financial hit all the merch Mm. that you've got printed and and made just sits now and you know we've had to do fire sales of like get you you know 20 (laughs) 25 percent off t-shirt sales and Mm. stuff so i mean you know and we've had to think of like what can we do like besides recording which was really great for us um tim and i are kind of planning some stuff uh so we've been working on a documentary for the last two years and tim's been working on a, a photo book for us and yeah right. um we're gonna do a podcast hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're actually gonna do like a screen feeder like looking at our albums and um like a patreon with like we're going to do zoom meetings with people like we're going to have band meetings where we ask people to join and we can have cool. like someone take minutes and <laughs> like this is awesome just talk, talk shit <laughs> well this this well you know maybe this acts as like a good kind of rehearsal for yeah uh, i think so know, yeah true what you're about to embark yeah. on <laughs> but you know you the other be, thing you'll, you'll be dab you'll be dab hands at this you know totally. you'll be like yep. you'll be like setting up zoom meetings and smashing it out like like the total pros. Yeah. The other thing is we've all we've all been working through this. Like Tim's got a full-time job, I've got a full-time job. And so the mm. band is the layer on top of everything that we do. And so I didn't have a break. Like I I've been working through this entire thing. Even the very first lockdown, I've I worked full-time at home and I've been working from home. Um well Tim works at home anyway, but you know, it's just been this um very intense work life and then all of your fun mm. stuff is um it kind of stops and starts and stops and starts and you've got to like keep trying to figure out different ways of doing it and like well, how can we keep engaging because you know you you if you can't go on tour you want to still keep engaging with your fans and your fan base mm. so mm. we've this is what how we're doing it and when we love um connecting with each other and and our fan base as well so it's really it's exhausting, like trying to think yeah. of new things to do, and on top yeah. of like. But it's also cool. Like off. it's actually, you know, it's fun and it's interesting and it's sort of it's kind of inspiring in a way. Yeah, it's good to it's good to be able to find <laughs> silver silver lining. Yeah. I mean, I suppose like what I've found is that going, you know, from last year as we kind of started going into this period that we're still in and probably are going to be in for a few more months yet at, at least. Um, all those sort of thing, things like social media and um, online activity, which was already pretty important, but 
you know, in terms of sort of operating as a musician, um, that just kind of ramped right up. And, yeah. and it's, I mean, how do you guys go with, I often sort of ask people about this, um, especially, you know, musicians of our vintage, because when we started playing, there was no social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've always kind of found it like, it's not, it's never really come a hundred percent naturally to like, you know, engage through social media because I'm not a big sort of <clears throat> not a big sharer. I'm not big on selfies um, and just not a, you know, things like Instagram. It's such a visual medium. And how do you guys go with all of that stuff? What's your relationship like with social media? Um, we actually, on the one hand, it's a little exhausting and a little boring from time to time. But <laughs> the way that we, the way that we sort of manage to do it is for some weird reason in keeping with how the people who follow the band kind of want it. So it's like they're all kind of in that rough sort of age demo anyway. So they probably engage with it sort of in a similar way. And so when mm. we do something, it, it seems to hit, you know what I mean? Like it seems to resonate. And I don't feel a big disconnect or anything. Like we're not mega consistent and we don't, you know, really coordinate our sort of strategy around it all. We're just a bit mm. hit and miss. But it seems to work. You know, what do you reckon, Cal? There's absolutely no strategy. And often, like, I'll post <laughs> something on Facebook and 10 minutes later, Tim's posting something else. I'm like, dude, what? I just did something. What are you doing? <laughs> and then so I'm, I mostly <laughs> I mostly do Instagram. Tim has no ideas how to do Instagram stories or how to read messages. I do the Twitter. But have you noticed how I've, like, totally co-opted our Instagram feed now? So it's, like, all old-school punk stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> that's, that's all me, dude. That's really great. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I do our Twitter as well. But Tim's always done our mailing list. So he's always been a natural with communicating to people. Mm. And mm. Um, also not just mailing lists, like, sending out stuff to everyone. Tim's been writing letters to people forever and emails so yeah, right. he really connects on a much deeper level and so i think the social media is an extension of that but it's much broader right. but we share yeah. it and we don't we do not at all plan any of it it's just like oh i might just do this stupid thing you know yeah. <laughs> so but it works yeah it feels like for us um you know we can have we can go in waves so we might go a fortnight with nothing and then, you know, we might push out three or four posts in a day or in two days and people kind of get on it and, like, we, we sort of feel this wave and after a while we can feel what the people have had enough and we back off. And that's yeah. sort of how we, that's yeah, like how we do it. Yeah, I guess it's kind of natural. But, we, you know, I do mm. have to qualify that we do have a sort of schedule when w yeah. we, if something needs to be announced, we're not going to yeah. just go yeah. flying off the handle and <laughs> sort of say, hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like um especially like this cancellation of the tour and like we've got to work out mm. do we cancel all of them do we maybe still do adelaide like we're still doing brisbane yeah. but do we tell people what do we tell and then we have to kind of yeah. strategize that so hey um tell me guys about um how the two of you met and i suppose you know a little bit of the the origin story of of Scream Feeder, i suppose because my wow i'll just sort of to preamble that um, my my sort of story, I suppose, of of becoming a Scream Feeder fan, and I may have I don't know if I've told you this story and drunken backstage conversations before, probably. But anyway, for the record, <laughs> um, it was uh, in 1994 when I was in year 12, my last year of high school. Um, 
and it was the Felicitator EP. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was only just in the last sort of hour before talking to you guys that I was sort of, you know, thinking about it and had a list, was listening back to it on Spotify and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like an unusual entry point for your, like, for your Scream Feeder fans. Like, because for me, it was like a totally just a timing thing because I was just at that point in my life where I was just just living and breathing, you know, yeah. music and writing and I desperately wanted to be in a band and was going to all ages shows all the time and was going to record stores and just digging up stuff all the time. And that EP came out at that time. And so that was my entry point. Wow. Is, that a, is that an unusual entry point for a Screen Feeder fan? I'd say so, but... Um because the whole climate of how we all access music back then was so different, I mean, I guess it's fairly typical. Like, you know, we we would go to CD shops and thumb through the stuff and pick something and take a chance with it and take it home and listen and go, oh, my God, I found this thing. You know, that was the whole sort of mm. making a band yours, kind of like you've got this yeah. secret band that you're in love with kind of thing. Uh, that was, that, a, that that was that absolutely e- how it felt yeah, with, that, with yeah. that EP because none of my friends had it. So yeah. it was kind of like right. it, was, it was kind of my it was my thing. Yeah, so that was a weird EP. It was like essentially a second single from Burn Out Your Name. So it was Button, and then we had some demos of songs, which ended up, uh, you know, a couple of them on our next album, Fill Yourself in Music, and just a couple of <laughs> things we had lying around. So it was oh, a millions real of wishes on that. Like that was one of the first yeah. songs I think we recorded with me singing. I think. Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 Oh, That's cool. right. Yeah. They're great. They're fucking great songs. They're really, really great songs. Um, but you. yeah, anyway, I, dig- I digressed from my original question, which was, Screen Feeder Origin Story, does, does, did it start with, with, with you and Kelly, uh, sorry, Tim, the two of you meeting, or was there, was there something before that? Uh, so before that, I used to live in Townsville. I lived in Townsville, like, you know, in the mid-'80s. I formed a band up there that ended up being called The Madman, and it was me and Tony, our first screen feeder drummer, and this guy, Cam. We moved to Brisbane in 1990 after having done, like, a couple of tours down here. And we met Kel, and Kelly was a filmmaking student at the time. Right. And she offered to make a clip for our single, and oh. we said, yeah, we'd love that. And so she made a clip, and then we ended up rehearsing in her living room for about, I don't know, probably a year. Oh, wow. And we had a fight with our bass player, Cam, because he was a bit slack and a bit lazy. And we're like, you know, because me and Tony, the drummer, we're fucking driven as fuck. You know, we're just like, everything has to happen now, and we have to just do everything. Yeah. And so we kicked Cam out, and we more or less turn around to Kelly and go, hey, you want to play bass? Because she's a bass player, and she kind of like knew the songs from having us rehearse in her living room three times a week. And you you take over now, Cam. Well, I mean, Cam has, wasn't even down the stairs yet, and I said yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, to, before before you joined in on that part, Kel, tell me your prehistory before getting to that stage as well. So I grew up in Toowoomba, and I moved to Brisbane to study film at the Queensland College of Art, and I'd been playing in bands when I was from like fifteen, and when I moved to Brisbane. I was in three bands in my final year at uni and, um, you know, I was seeing Tim's band play and, and, you know, really loved that they were putting out seven-inch singles and, you know, they were like so much uh, more professional than everybody but they were so cool and um, I, I, I sent Tim a letter saying, you know, can I make a video for you because I – because I didn't know him, I didn't have a phone number or anything and literally 
wrote a letter and put it in the post. And um, he (laughs) wrote back and said, oh, yeah, you're in that band and don't you have a really cool practice room? And it was literally my lounge room and I was in a flat above a barbecue shop on Main Road in Ipswich Road. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, you can just come over and use my practice room and it was my house. And We didn't even pay you, did we? Sorry? (laughs) We didn't even pay you. I think I asked you to chip in for electricity or something. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, and so, you know, um, I would sit there for, uh, for not all the time, but I would sit there and listen, watch them play, and then I'd go outside and leave them alone. And um, But, so, yeah, got us to join, and, and then, yeah, just join, we played a thing, and then we changed the name of the band, and then it was just, like, uh, recording the first album happened really quickly because they had all the songs that were all Mad Men songs, and then... Yeah. Yeah, and we just started touring and I just finished uni. I just moved all of my stuff into the house that Tim and Tony lived in with their girlfriends. Um and then we just drove around the country multiple times pretty much, you know. Spent years backwards and forwards so like moving in and out of houses and yeah, it was a really crazy time back then. You just could not do that now. I mean not not because of the the plague or anything but you know i just don't think you could live on the doll and and Mm. go touring and you know the doll was like the arts grant of our lives you know yeah we were so lucky to have the access to that and rent was so cheap like living in brisbane you'd spend like 50 dollars a week on rent or something outlandish you know so it was it was great look you know it's been 30 years now (laughs) yeah it's amazing uh, you know, I feel like a kinship with, with you know, I guess Brisbane bands of that era coming from Perth because so much of what you say I can, um, I can really um, connect with because, you know, I was, when I moved out of home in 96, I was on the dole. I can't remember exactly how much it was. I think it might have been. Two hundred dollars would it have been two hundred dollars a week or two hundred dollars a fortnight? I reckon it anyway. was like two hundred and forty uh, a fortnight or something like that. I reckon. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I was and in my first share house, I was paying forty dollars a week. Yeah. yeah, in rent for this little room, hmm. and that was in a suburb called Subiaco, which is quite inner city and and quite even back then it was quite gentrified. Even now, more so. But um, hmm. um. But yeah, you're right. It was a it was like a grant for the for artists because you could, it, it did give you the freedom to be able to work on your art. Where in this case it was mm. you know music and band, um, and survive. And and you know it kind of kept us going. So that by the time we started touring and started to make a little bit of money and be able to kind of pay ourselves a basically an equivalent wage to what the doll was. <laughs> It kind of got us through for like a year or or so, and in that mm. sense, it was a you know it really did its job. I mean, I, I, the way I see it, it really kind of did its job. But you're right; you could never do that now. I, I don't know how people. I, I don't know how people survive on it. I don't know. Like you, ha- you know, do did you have to do like weird things, like go and do like a barista course with Serena Russo? We had Brisbane Serena <laughs> Russo. You know, okay. I did a bar course, and you know, I got I got placed in weird work situations for like a week. I worked in a pasta factory, and I sold scissors on the oh telephone, and <laughs> I've done so many weird jobs just to sort of like get extra money. Never quite get over the threshold of losing your 
your doll payments. Go on tour, put your form in in Geelong, you know, put your yeah. form in yeah. in Ballarat. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's crazy. I really respect that um, because it makes me feel like a bit of a bludger because the whole time I was on the doll, I never, ever did any um, little jobs. And I used to, <laughs> I just remember filling in the form and I, and you, the, in the, on the form, and it was, you know, a paper form that you had to go and hand into the yeah. office every fortnight. Um, and I remember on the form, there were, t- you always had to write down references of two jobs yes. that you'd applied for. Yeah. And I would always just find people that I knew that I could write down. And I distinctly yeah. remember one time writing, because at that, by that point, you know, Jeb and I were happening, we had a manager. And I would put my manager down as like a, <laughs> as like a work reference of somebody that I'd apply for. Now he was also on the doll at the time. <laughs> wow, <laughs> amazing! I'd always put record stores and get, and oh, venues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. They are sympathetic people that you know. You know that if they heard it, they would quickly kind of go, "Oh!" And once they kind of figured out what was going on, you you trusted them to be like, "Oh, yeah, sure, sure." But once you figured out that no one actually checks, it's <laughs> right. all over. Like, yeah, yeah, so like yeah. it went from it went from like choosing legit places like oh yeah definitely the local Woolies or Coles or the record shop, and then you go yeah whatever and just open the yellow pages and go yeah that'll do. And yeah, then yeah. it got to the point where it was like you go, you just make it up. You're like oh Andrew's bookshop or <laughs> freaking John's yeah, yeah. butchers or something, you know. <laughs> oh, well, there's we um all of us in Jeb's remember this time. Um, when we, you know, it was very early days of touring, probably only our second or third um, sort of trip to the eastern states, um, and we were all still on the dole. And there was one day we had a day off in Sydney, <clears throat> and we were staying in we were staying in Kings Cross, and it, it was the day that we all had to hand in our forms. So the four of us all marched over to the uh, <laughs> to the centre link of the dole office, whatever it was called back then, um, in Kings Cross. And of course, you know, we'd probably played a well, we would have played a gig the night before. Um, so, you know, we didn't get out of bed till like two o'clock in the afternoon. And so it was kinda of like, oh shit, you know, we gotta get into the office before it shuts. We <laughs> we got there just as they were closing the doors. We were really lucky they kinda of let us in. And so we got into the office and we're waiting in line and more and more people are sort of gathering at the front entrance. <laughs> but the, they'd locked the doors. They weren't letting anybody else in. By the time we sort of got to speak to somebody or whatever, there was a small crowd of, of people banging, banging on the front doors. Like, and they were getting pretty violent and pretty aggro. God. Uh, this is King's Cross in 1996. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when we f- finished sort of, you know, speaking to our people there or whatever, they ended up ushering us out the back door of the Centlink office oh my because, God. because there was an angry mob out the front and they couldn't, they couldn't open the doors. Wow. It's like you're the bizarro Beatles, the poor Beatles. <laughs> yeah. It was the first and I must add the only time we've ever been ushered out a back door. Yeah. <laughs> because of a, uh, you know, a mob. But, uh, yeah, I think soon after that, as I was saying, like it was probably yeah, I reckon maybe about a year I was on the dole, but um, but yeah, I mean it it, it worked, it worked for us. Mm. Yeah, um, we survived. So, basically. so the other thing that I was interested in asking you guys too about you know 
starting off when you when Scream Fest started out, and even prior to that as well. As I was listening to a podcast recently um, that sort of did this deep dive into the Regurgitator two plang album. Um, it's a really great podcast, and I urge anyone who's a fan of Regurgitator who's listening to this to to check it out. Um, search for it on podcast. You'll be able to find it. You know, you're smart. Um, but they were talking about the, um, you know, what was happening in Brisbane and, well, Queensland more broadly in the sort of late 80s as after, like, you know, 20 years of Sir Joe Bielke-Peterson. Is that how you pronounce That's it? Though? Yeah, Bielke-Peterson. Being, yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, so... <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting because, I guess, you know, growing up in Perth, I'd heard of him and I was you know too young to really understand what it all meant but obviously there was a brisbane was coming out of a a long period of sustained like kind of a real suffocating kind of cultural environment because of that leadership what what are your memories of that and was did you guys yeah like do you have memories of how that kind of uh how that influenced the music that was happening at the time or what was going on kind of you know on street level it was a time, like I was, so I grew up in Toowoomba and, you know, Tim was uh, in Townsville and you wouldn't have probably been in Australia for a lot of that time, I suppose. But um, in, uh, so, you know, basically it was like everything in Brisbane was shut on a Sunday. Like you, you couldn't mm. do anything. Um, and we still have a little bit of a hangover of that in Brisbane. And most people would know if they came here and then you go to a gig, there's nothing kind of to do afterwards. Um, Mm. but like back in when we were playing, so like the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, we used to play parties and stuff and the cops would come and bust it up. Uh, we've had like our, um, the valves taken out of your amplifier so you couldn't play anymore. They were really, yeah, seriously, that happened. Um, really aggressive police, like, so the police used to like, um, raid houses they had a thing called operation noah where you were encouraged to dob in your neighbors if they were drug dealers or something so yeah (laughs) there was like i don't know how many times i've lived in houses that have been raided by the police for drug searches and even when there were no drugs in there or anything like it was just you were house on a list and the cops would you know come in like knock on the door walk through with about 20 police officers, go through all of your things. You were treated like a criminal. You know, it was mm. it was a police state and, and it was actually a police state. You'd walk down the street, the police had the right to search you for like for no reason because they, they would say, oh, we believe that you're carrying drugs on you right. and they could search anybody, even your grandma or like a, you know, 18-year-old kid walking down the street. Um so they're the things that I remember the most, like just this oppressiveness of like, you were literally, it was scary walking down the street mm. sometimes. Um, and also not knowing <laughs> what day the cops were going to show up to raid your house. Because that kind of, that kind of ideology or policy or whatever, it promotes like pro it, it promotes profiling and it, and it legalizes that idea of profiling. And, and you can see how that can, directly affect artists because like you say i mean like if the police have the power to just like search you or or you know 
come into your house or do all those things without any reason other than just they've profiled you because of yeah. whether it's your a- your age or how you're dressed yep. or perhaps the kind of um, – The area the that you lived t- in, you know, right. everything. Yeah, yeah. Who you hang out with, anything, yeah. yeah. Which is really – which is just te- – that's terrible, you know. That's really fucked up. Yeah. But, you know, like it was weird because we kind of all lived with it. Like we all expected it. It was all kind of – we'd trade war stories and, you know, we'd share information. And it drove a lot of art and music and culture very underground. And that was a really good thing about it in a way. Um, There was a lot of really amazing places to go if you knew. And that was the thing. People used to come to Brisbane and say, oh, Brisbane's boring and it's awful. But it's like, that's because you don't know anyone. You don't know where to go. You don't know any of the info. So what about you, Tim? It forces forces the arts to to get uh, political, I guess. You know, it, it fostered a great punk scene in the city, which still survives to this day, really. And um, it was a real punk scene in the essence of it being actually a legit rebellion against all the shit that was going on. So it was, it was fantastic. But apart from that, honestly, like for me, uh, you know, coming into Brizzy in like 1989, 1990, we kind of ignored it. Like it wasn't affecting us directly. As, you know, you get raided, Kel, I remember that. You get raided heaps. But like we sort of skated around it and, you know, we, we were able to largely ignore it, to be honest. But I remember there was a Livid Festival in... What year was Joe kicked out? Was it like 1990? I think it was, right? Um, it was. Uh, right, I think he. I think it was very late 80s. Okay, very, very so there was 80s. this Livid Festival that went on at the showgrounds and Mudhoney were playing and it was awesome. And I think Iggy Pop played as well, but I remember Mudhoney playing and someone coming out on stage saying... Guess what? The elections just kicked Joe out, and the the freaking place right. erupted, and it was right. amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I was it a culture shock? Sorry, Kel, you go. Oh, I just remember that day, uh, that night. The guy I lived in a share house, and that night, the guy I lived with was like, he went out and danced on the street. He went down and he jumped around, and you know, it was a jubilant sort of like amazing moment. It this. It felt like, oh, my God, there's potential now. And the Labour Party got in, you know, like progressives. And um, we'd just gone from this insane, like, ultra-conservative, ultra-white-wing, really corrupt um, government to now, like, oh, maybe a little bit not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I- I'll ask you, and I'll start with you, Kel, um, what is your um what are your earliest memories of music as a kid and and are there any sort of memories or moments where you kind of um where you kind of had a that conscious kind of idea in your head that like oh that not only is music something that i really connect with and really love but maybe it's something i can do uh so i think when i was young my dad liked to play music and he had a banjo and we had like a little acoustic guitar in the house and I started learning guitar when I was 11 and um it was and I also you know I was learning the flute at school for a bit and obviously the recorder and all that kind of stuff but um (laughs) and and that was just all the things that you did because you also did like swimming and you know the things at school yeah I did ballet for a bit when I was four could you imagine 
And but um, not but, but not everybody learns the flute. But one and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do, it is interesting because so many people that I speak to on this podcast, musicians that I speak to, have this history in primary school where they're exposed to an instrument. For me, it was violin, but um, but often it's a classical instrument. Uh, but but they don't they don't kind of keep keep it going, and then yeah. they find their they so obviously mu- you know like the music's there trying to you know it's got this. It's trying to kind of come in or trying to happen and you're exposed to this stuff and you're given opportunities to kind of do stuff like learn the flute or learn the violin. And, yeah. Um, but, it's, but later in life, you kind of find your thing. And for, with mu- so many musicians that I speak to, you know, it's like I, you know, they find rock and roll and music comes yeah. back to them again. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess like for me, um, it was when my brother got a stereo and like because I think he was had a job and he bought a stereo and I would sneak into his room and listen to records and yeah, he had right. like the Angels and Iron Maiden and yeah. like Dire Straits <laughs> like really weird things and I would listen I would lie down in between the, st- the speakers and listen and i sort of really found I was gravitating towards the bass more than any of the other instruments and yeah, um, right. whilst I'd been learning the guitar and I got stuck on p- trying to play bar chords because it didn't make sense and I didn't really take to learning how to read music and I didn't like that sort of structured stuff. Y- yeah. I found that bass was really calling my name and I really got into it. So when I was like 14 or 14 and a half when you could get a job, I got a job and I bought a bass for like $100 and my dad bought me a vase amp like from the this lady around the corner who played this like church organ through it and it was this beautiful yeah. amp. Oh my God, I would kill for that today. Yeah. And I, I just got some lessons with this guy um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I loved it. I just felt so at home and but I think um I I remember um watching like you know Saturday morning music film clips on telly one day um like one Saturday and and uh, Joan Armatrading came on and I was like holy shit she's so fucking cool like Mm. she's you've never seen anybody like her and she's playing a strat a white Stratocaster and she just looks like I've never seen anything like that and I was like I fucking want to be like that and um (laughs) And I wasn't, <laughs> and I didn't, but I, I like, it was very inspiring to me. It was like, you know, something like really unusual and that was really the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I don't really like yeah. Joan Armatrading's music or anything either. So that was the other thing I was, wasn't trying to emulate or be like, I just saw and was like, wow, anyone can anyone could do anything they wanted to it was like this light bulb moment and and i joined a band when i was like 15 what was the band that you joined oh god (laughs) uh so look uh so the the guy who was teaching me bass was teaching these other teens like guitar and one of them knew a bass player a a drummer and a singer so we were just this mishmash of people and we started this band we were doing covers of like I don't know, George Thorogood and like the Beatles or random shit. Uh, And we were called Blame Kelly because no one, we couldn't think of a name and I always got in trouble. (laughs) Where's the thing gone? Oh, it's Kelly's fault. She lost it. Blame her. So that was my first band. Blame Kelly. And nothing's changed, honestly. I'd love to call Scream Peter Blame Kelly. (laughs) 
it's you know it's it sounds like um it sounds like a good name for if you ever wanted to do like a secret show true yeah, show under the name. yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's, what about you that's me yeah what what about you tim uh, I'm mega old, so I grew up in England back in the days when punk kind of kicked off over there. And I remember me and my yeah. friends at school, you know, we're kids, but like I remember like, yep. you know, we'd all like, listen to Sex Pistols and stuff and just be like, oh my God, this is like <laughs> the best thing ever, you know. And it was very influential at the time. But to go back a little, my family, my dad was always like totally classical music, but my mum was sort of, you know, she had the Beatles, Buddy Holly various albums like that in her collection so that was awesome but i'd always sort of like gravitate towards the more you know major key up rocking kind of tracks uh the more sort of i guess you know the songs that were more pointing towards the sort of punk thing essentially and then when i heard actual punk music i was like okay it all makes sense this is what this is what i've been waiting for so i got into that really heavily and it became everything in my life and when I was a tiny bit older in like the mid 80s there was this sort of massive second wave of UK punk and there was all the American hardcore coming in and the whole thing about that second wave was it was the music was on the whole way more rudimentary and really done by kids as opposed to you know the first wave in England where it was people who could actually really play rock and roll really well but they were just playing punk music but so um the whole ethos of the late, uh, the mid '80s thing was DIY. You can do this. Anyone can do this. It's just music for the kids, basically. So without it, well, the English bands were like people like you know Crass or Discharge or the Subhumans, like real early stuff. So, so it's like it's real kind of hardcore English stuff. And then in America, I guess it was the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag, and much later Who's Could Do. But really, it was bands like the Kennedys, for example. Um, and then, so like, you know, when you hear that kind of music, you're like, I can do that. I've no, I know a few bar chords. I know a couple of open chords that'll do, you know what I mean? So I finished school and, um, I knew I wanted to form a band, but I didn't really know how. And I went back to England in 1985 and lived with my dad for a little while. And while I was there, I bought an electric guitar, came back to Australia and moved out of home straight away and just basically, you know, fished around town, got some other kids in interested in being in this punk band and i started the band and it was so terrible like the songs are terrible like three chords just do 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 like really the most rudimentary music you could ever imagine and uh we had a singer originally this big skinhead dude who looked amazing but couldn't really sing in time at all so i was yeah, yeah. So I'd be writing the songs, and so I'd say to him, "Oh, dude, it has to go like this," and I'd sing it. And it, in the end, he just basically said, "Look, you be the singer." <laughs> so like, I became the singer, and I sucked. I was like the worst singer in the world for years and years. And um, I found Tony Blades through an ad I put in the Townsville paper in 1986. Like young, young drummer required, no experience necessary. He was like a grade 10 dropout. He was 15 when he joined the band. And he was like this wildfire freaking, um, you know, mega enthusiastic kind of ambitious guy. He just did not take any prisoners. And so we started rehearsing the whole time and the band sort of, got a little better we weren't very good but you know we worked through it and we got a better lineup and we just inched our way along and 
sorry, if I answered like way past the questions bounds, am I just fucking giving you the entire history of the world or what? <laughs> okay. But anyway, yeah, the whole thing the whole thing of getting into music was really hearing punk for the first time and going this is mind blowing and I want to do this and I can do this and even if I suck at it I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. Know? Yeah, look I think it's come up a lot, you know, in this podcast but you know just it's just clearly, you know, one of the the most awesome things about punk rock music was how accessible it was and you know because it was yeah. for the, it was the same thing for me you know like i the i guess when i first started learning guitar it was kind of it was rat cat and then soon after that nirvana and you know mm. not i guess what you would traditionally call punk music or punk bands but definitely the attitude was there was a punk yeah. rock attitude and the, the you, if you were learning to play guitar you could kind of fumble your way around these songs yeah. like you yeah. didn't need to be, a, you know, it wasn't, I mean, Joe Satriani was going around at the same time and I, that just made no sense to me. But, you know, yeah. these simple songs, it was like a way in, you know, and what a what an awesome, uh, what an awesome thing, like, like it's just, it's like made for kids, right? That kind of music because it's, yeah, because it's yeah. all fucking energy and attitude and anyone and yeah. anyone can do it. Yeah, and literally, like, I went probably the first four or five years in a band without having a clue about why you had to play a major or a minor chord. Like, I just, whatever, you know. <laughs> I just didn't even know. I couldn't even I couldn't yeah, even yeah, hear yeah. that in the music. I was just, like, so on the surface, rudimentary, just enjoying the energy, yeah. yeah. That's what I loved about bass is that you didn't have to do that. You just found the root note and you can make, like, something work around it. And I still don't know the difference between, like, minors and sevenths and stuff and i'd play the guitar as well so but we use different tunings so it's like whatever (laughs) (laughs) um all right so uh the three songs now people who have been listening to this podcast know the history of the three songs it started off as a very different premise these days i just asked my guests to bring uh three songs to the table based around anything they like um so i what uh did well first of all was there a theme did you guys collaborate on these songs are we, are, are we going separately how and is there a theme that you kind of came up with well i was i was really excited about this and i i thought to myself that this would be cool i'll find some songs kelly like called me at about five this afternoon and she's like i haven't done any songs i don't know what to do <laughs> I didn't and i was know like was well dude to be a theme either. <laughs> i didn't know there was supposed to be a theme but like i actually went with a it's theme it's optional it's, it's totally optional <laughs> yeah i went with a theme of songs songs with huge long endings so i've got three cool. mega long songs with crazy long endings and kelly then went and oh i've got songs with really long beginnings <laughs> To counteract that. So you've got like a lot of really yeah. long songs on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, who wants to go first? You go first, Kel. Uh, okay. So my, do you want one at a time or all of them together? Like uh, what, what am I just, supposed to really do us, with these? Give us your, for, your, your favorite of, of, that you've got. Okay. So uh, my favorite is probably Duress by Swerve Driver, which ah, is, yeah. um, you know, that song has got this beautiful meandering beginning and then this crybaby wah comes in and it like basically rips my my heart out through my chest it's something about this song it really reminds me of a certain period of time 
but I still listen to it and I still get transported in time. You know those beautiful songs. So it's it's around I think it's around eight minutes long. That's the beginning. <laughs> Probably goes for like three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. So they were sort of, they were in that shoegaze scene, I guess, you know, largely because of the period they came out as well as the type of music. But for us, you know, they were always way, way more rock and roll than the typical shoegaze, which was a little bit nice. But um, we saw them heaps of times. Kelly and I saw them in London in like 93. And we've seen them in Australia, like probably, you know, eight or 10 times. We've played with them heaps. And we just it's almost like their their first probably four or five albums they're they're huge landmarks throughout the band's history like we know where we were when we first heard ejector seat reservation or you know like and it was like pivotal in how perhaps our next album was written or sounded or things like that like they're really close to our hearts first time i ever heard swerve driver i was like 19 and my friend who i was in a band with at the time before i was in screen feeder gave me um, Son of Mustang for the 12-inch uh, EP as a present. It was their first release. And um, I had never heard anything like it. It was mind-blowing. And every record they do is incredible. Even their later ones, you know how you kind of sometimes get a bit um, bored or they get a bit self-indulgent. And this band's probably become quite self-indulgent. <laughs> but their music is still incredible. And it's like it comes from out of space and... Um, Duress is, you know, an all-time mm. favorite, but there's always like yeah, five or six yeah. other songs where you go, oh, no, this song. No, 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 this one's the best one. Yeah, so they're such a great band. The only reason I kind of know anything really about Swerve Driver is because uh, Vanessa and Jebs was a massive fan. And, you know, she was a real... She introduced me to pretty much all the English bands that I love uh, from that time period, uh, you know, because she was such a... Anglophile is that the right word? Mm. Um, yeah, she you know she she used to collect the NME from the news agents every week. You know they they, they only, so did I. They, they only sold they only sold like two or three copies. You know, and she was one of the customers that would buy it every week. And she 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 yeah. loved it. She she was so um, she was so invested in that whole scene and that world, which is funny, you know, being all the way over in Australia and never being able to kind of actually see these bands or whatever. Um, I mean, but I do remember eventually seeing Swerve Driver um, probably in about 97. Did they tour here around 96, 97? 
Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. There was a f- there was a festival in Perth um, called Mudslinger. You got? Did you guys? Yeah, play, we played play that. that? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. played that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Swerve, we were we played that as well, and Swerve Driver were, were on that bill. Um, that was they only, broke up over there. They I, broke up in Perth after that. <laughs> oh no! I think I heard something about that. Yeah. They're back together now. Like, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, Australia can, you know, do weird things to people. Um, all right, uh, Tim, what about you? What's what's the song that you uh, So I actually chose three, so I don't know which one to go for, but I think I'll go for everyone who knows me knows this is one of my favourite songs of all time. It's this band, Jimmy World. They're this real, like, late 90s, early noughties, sort of, like, emo-ish pop, you know, pop yeah, yeah. Kind of indie band. And yep. they, I don't know too much about them, to be honest. Like, when we heard this album, it was via a friend of ours in Singapore. Like, he fumbled the music through to us and said, you should check this out. And we all listened to the album. And then this last song comes on called Goodbye Sky Harbor. And it's 16 minutes long. And it starts out like a, a great, you know, choppy kind of indie rock song. And, in fact, revisiting it recently, the front part of the song is freaking awesome like it's really great and very emotive and then it drops out into this um loop that goes forever and like you think to yourself after five minutes they're gonna have to wind that up and then it goes for another five minutes you're like they're still going and then it changes and goes into this weird like the the chords it stops being so guitar and strummy and goes into this weird blippy bloopy electronic version of itself and by that stage, you're you're hooked and you're like completely transfixed, and it's it's just the most beautiful simple riff. It's like A D B minor D, something like that, mega simple, and uh, it just grabs you and just takes you for this and beautiful ride. And lots of ride. vocal, yeah, it's like of lots of like ooh and going bup, in. yeah, little little bits and pi- bits and pieces of vocals. And the song's like, you know, if you go back to the beginning quarter of the song, it's, it's very beautiful. Like, I can't quote any of the lyrics, but it's, it's kind of a love song. And then I was looking up some info about it today, and apparently I read that there's a John Irving book called A Prayer for Owen Meany, and it, apparently the song's about that book, so I had no idea until yeah. today. Yeah, clarity. Yeah, clarity. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, that's cool. I um I never would have uh, predicted that you would choose a, a Jimmy Eat World song. Um, we um we have a bit of a history with that band. Right. We uh, oh wow. We 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 toured with them in America. Oh wow. Um, for for about a month, we we went from the west coast. Yeah, from the west coast to the east of oh, east coast. Wow. Yeah, start on the east coast, finish on the west coast. Um, oh. so New York to LA, pretty much, and everywhere in between, and um. And it was when they were just, it was in the year 2000, so they were doing, they were basically doing this tour to finance what would become um, uh, Ameri- uh, Bleed American. Yeah. Bleed American. Um, which was the following record. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was so, they were awesome, awesome guys. And um, we, we did like a split seven inch with them over there. Wow. And, um, yeah. Oh. Yeah, they were they were super super cool and but yeah, it was it was a kind of a good time to be touring with them because it was you know like when you guys have probably got experiences like this too where you've maybe played shows or done tours with bands just before they blow up. Yeah. Um we've had it like yeah, doing that Jimmy Eat World tour in America and also a couple of years earlier in Australia we took Living End out as our main support act. Wow. Just when Prison of Society was on the mm. radio and they were blowing mm. up, and you know, it, there is something kind of it's, I, yeah, I really enjoy that. It's something really special, especially if they're good people and you become yeah. friends with yeah. them, obviously, because you're happy for them. <laughs> It'd be different if they were assholes, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's a really special time because you kind of get to sort of witness from a, you know, you're you're intimate and you see everything that's going on, but you're sort of also on the outside and you get to see this this thing sort of happening um bubbling to the surface and just like turning into something huge yeah um and that, that was very much the case with jimmy Eat world like we were just playing club club shows mm. and they they were playing a lot of the songs that were going to be on bleed american and wow but yeah that that record clarity i really love as well mm. it's a yeah really really great record i think when they played that particular song live they just cut it at the point where it changes so they do a short version yeah yeah yeah. Um, okay. So the last song. Who wants to take uh, the last song? You got to go on, Cal. Ju- duke it out between the two of you. Go on. Uh, well, so for like long beginnings, nothing really beats "Leave Them All Behind" by Ride. Oh, nice. You know, that. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's my other one, and I listened to this this song in particularly I listened to it a lot when I was getting ready to record my other band Majestic Horses that I put out a couple of years ago because I needed to extend some songs I wanted to like have breakdowns or just like you know listening to songs that were really long and moved around a lot and so Can was another band that I was listening to a lot at the time Um, and Leave Them All Behind by Ride I would just listen to over and over because like you know they have that the drums by the way, they're just like the best sounding drums you've ever heard on any record. Um, and there's got the beautiful uh, synths and stuff, but the bass is so driving and all these things kind of move and there's all these beautiful vocals and um, it's really inspiring for me at that time, but I've always loved that record. Um, and so, yeah, it's. I think it, the intro goes for like two minutes or so.
I love songs where you get lost and then you're like, oh, hang on, that's like the song has those moments. Yeah. You know? Actually, I want to do a song where there's like a huge intro. The actual body of the song is like maybe two lines of singing and then the the exit. And yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. for a really long time as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. That's what I want to do. I fucking, I love Ride. Um, really, I, yeah, the Nowhere, the album with the wave mm. on the cover. Yeah. Yeah, that that was my introduction. That's great. Introduction to that band. And uh, yeah, I still love that record. Um, they just got a sound. You know, we actually played with Ride the very first time mm. they came out to Australia. Really? Was, what was yeah. that like? Tell me about that. They were really uptight. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember is they, yeah, were, they yeah. didn't want anything to do with us. They yeah. were, we played in this weird nightclub in the city, which would never really put bands on. It was called Transformers, and it was more of a nightclub right? Um, for dancing and Such stuff or whatever. Such a mismatch but, um, of bands, though, as well, like, you know. Right. What was that? It's such a mismatch of bands. Yeah, yeah. Because we used to, you know, we were one of those bands at that time who was just getting all the supports. You know, there's always right. that band in one city mm. that's like, oh, not this band with fucking everybody. Yeah, that yeah. Band for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, you guys were that band as well. In, <laughs> absolutely. In in Perth, yeah, between yeah. sort of mid-95 and late-96, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. You, you, you do so have that was, little period where you, you, just yeah. give, you just give it every show. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and, and you say yes to all of them. <laughs> yeah, even if they're so wrong and yeah. every other band hates you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just remember, this was probably like 1992 or yeah, something. Yeah, it probably too, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And they were all dressed up in like, you know, they were quite like mod looking, I remember as well. And um, we were just wearing ripped jeans and oversized yeah. sh- shirts and you looked like the cat dragged us in and... Um, they honestly just seemed like they were very uptight. They sounded great and it was a great show, but I just didn't feel very good about them. You know, yeah, I, mean? I think yeah. they were probably having a bad time, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, it happens, it happens. I mean, yeah. To be honest with you, not knowing anything really about them, apart from their music, it doesn't, kind of, it doesn't immediately surprise me that that, <laughs> yeah. that that was your experience. You know, I can kind of like imagine it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, something about. Can you imagine like um, an English band touring Australia in the nineties and like probably not even knowing anything about us and who we are, thinking that we're just like convict stock or yeah. you know we're yeah. just the colonies, um, but also coming out in summer and wearing like your finest like suit. Yeah, yeah. Just going, I fucking hate this place. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember. Think- I remember seeing uh, Supergrass. In the late nineties, um, at the big day out in Perth on a s- typically scorching hot Perth summer's day, and um, and I'd never—it was the first time I'd ever seen them. I got to see them a bunch of times after that, but it was my first time ever seeing Supergrass. This band that I really, really loved, so excited, and they came out on stage, and Gaz, the singer, was wearing like shorts and a hat, and he basically looked like an English backpacker, you right? Know? It was really pasty, obviously, and like it was just not at all the image that I had in my head from listening to their music. It was so kind of like, yeah, it took me a little while to kind of, kind of get my head around it. It was like that's not what I was not had not what I pictured in my head at all. Yeah, that would be weird. 
But yeah, so I think that was going on. They were probably hungover, jet lagged, yeah. didn't know where they were, not comfortable, yeah. you know, and it's like, who's this loud, annoying fucking other band playing with us? And plus, there was a huge <laughs> we crowd hate there, them. you know, there was a massive crowd as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for giving up your your Friday night. It is Friday, isn't it? You know, yes. like you said. Oh, the, who knows? Like you said at the start of this podcast, time is just makes no sense anymore. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what month it is. Um, I'm in Victoria, so in the deep in uh, another lockdown. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate you giving up your Friday night. Um, what stuff have you guys? Uh, You've talked a little bit about the stuff that you're working on. Is there anything you want to plug, basically? Anything you want to uh, plug and tell people about um, before we finish? Well, I mean, really for us at the moment, I guess people just keep an eye on what we're doing on on Facebook and Instagram because we'll be announcing more about the film, about the book, about our podcasts. We're we're branching out. You know (laughs) what I mean? We're doing a podcast. Yeah, so great. Everybody's doing a podcast. Got to do it. check out our website because everything's on there like all of our music we've got a really amazing band camp full of like all these rare gigs that we've done that were recorded tim's quite the archivist as well so um we've got everything on our website and um and then some. And our social media is quite fucking random <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks so much guys and um and yeah thanks for all the music over the years and um and it was really lovely to be able to talk to you for an extended amount of time obviously we've sort of been in each other's orbits for decades now um but yeah it was lovely to to uh can i tell you a story that i remember about you guys and me okay is it how is it uh, no please do lou Uh, it's not rude or anything (laughs) i've always i've always i always get scared when somebody does that because it's like oh no was i Mm -hmm. fucked up or <laughs> no, it's more about me being fucked up. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> years and years ago, you were in Brisbane and you played a gig and you were with James Straker and he brought you over to the party that I was having for my birthday. And you guys walked in right in the middle of me standing alone on my on my um, <laughs> uh, lounge room table, pouring water over my head and dancing <laughs> to Love Like Blood by Killing Joke. Because I was playing that single over and over and over because I was very out of it. I dro- It was my birthday. And you, I have the card that you guys hand drew for me still. <laughs> do you remember that? You know what? I do actually have vague memories of that. <laughs> I, I, I really do. You know, it, probably the fact that we just walked in, seeing you do that, it was probably a really good time for you to be doing it because <laughs> if, we'd have, if we'd have been settled in and then saw you do it, <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest the, it was so weird because the party was in the backyard and I was on my own in the lounge room doing this <laughs> and you just happened to walk in but it's because I got really embarrassed or I was really I don't know freaked out by it so because I literally was playing the record over and over <laughs> I, I when you walked in I stopped I ripped it off the thing and I just pegged it out the window <laughs> <laughs> was that a um, Houston Terrace that was Houston Terrace. Oh, no, 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 no. Terrace. It Warmington was um, Warmington Street. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Wow. And um, I was, v- like, I was on, there was drugs involved. <laughs> what an introduction to a party. That's all wow. I know, that's my favourite memory of you guys, even though it was my memory about me. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I was thinking about this too, going into, um, my, 
my sort of one of my earliest memories I don't know if you guys remember this was supporting you guys um, at a university the University of New England in Armadale New South Wales oh wow yeah oh my goodness Um, I think that was kind of I don't know if it was the f- maybe it was the first time we'd ever played a gig with you. I don't know. Yeah, I've done right. like an actual, you know, not a festival or whatever, but actually done like a standalone show. Wow! And yeah, we supported you at. Do you remember that venue? I, I don't know if it's part of the touring circuit anymore, but it, it definitely was in the nineties. I remember um, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of my first memory of, of um, yeah, watching your watching you guys play a full show. Wow. And then I think we we're staying at the same hotel afterwards as well. Um, that's my first sort of memory of kind of uh, kind of meeting you properly but that would have been it was probably around about the same time as uh, Kelly's infamous party <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I remember playing with you guys in a Perth uh, university as well with like the Foves I, I think oh, does that well, ring a bell was oh, that photos yeah. of like um, us doing merch and it was huge and it was like big balcony around the side at uwa at uwa refectory yeah, i remember that yeah right. were you put yeah that would and yeah another show like when, UWA. yeah and there was another show where there was a bunch of bands like spider bait and arson you and maybe magic dirt mm-hmm. um friends Rom, and it was like an outdoor nighttime festival and, and we got really smashed and tim and dean and i were having a group hug and we fell over and That's in adelaide. And that was in adelaide <laughs> Yeah. In Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was one of those nights where it was like, you know, everything's a blur, but we also have photos from there as well. Like, you know, um, Janet signing kids' shirts and you guys in the background and a tent and, you know, so many, so many things from yeah. such a long time ago. Can you, oh my God. I know, it's funny. It, like, time doesn't feel like, that doesn't feel like it was a million years ago, which it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, isn't it great that um, we're still here? Yes, <laughs> you it know? is. We're still here. Amen. And, you know, uh, we're still making music. Our band still exists. I mean, you know, what a what a wonderful thing that is. And that's what I feel like these spring-loaded festivals, which unfortunately are few and far between at the moment, but um, that's mm. what I feel like they really celebrate. You know, all the bands on those spring-loaded bills are all bands that have been around for ages and... We're the ones that, for whatever reason, whether it's pure stubbornness or whatever, just just the survivors with the survivors yeah. from the nineties. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a collective kind of, even though it's not sort of verbalised, I th- I feel like there's a collective kind of acknowledgement of that, and everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, know, I agree. We're, yeah, we're all still we're all still here, and there's something kind of nice about it. Definitely, definitely love it. Like mm. you know. Um, we we did all share stages together. We did all play festivals together, and this does just feel like it's um yesterday. But yeah. you know, yeah, it, it's really <laughs> lovely, and so many nice people, and it's so great that people are into it, and not just people of our age. It's like younger people too. It's like you know, there's a real resurgence in the interest. Um, this nostalgia thing kind of feels like I don't feel like that's a fair assessment of what it is like cashing in or anything it's it's real it's great music you know yeah 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 no i I absolutely agree i I think you know whilst nostalgia might play a part for some yeah it's definitely not what it's all about and you're right it is completely real and you know most of the 
people involved, the bands involved, probably find this, the whole nostalgia thing to be, an, uh, you know, a quite an uncomfortable thing. To yeah, kind true. Of, yeah, you know, inhabit like yeah. we're not. It's not really kind of what's informing it, but um, but yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's been awesome to talk to Thanks you. Thanks for having us. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, the absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to uh, see you guys at a gig really soon. Yeah, thank you. Oh, let's hope. Take care of yourself as well. You too, guys. Have fun in okay. have fun in unlockdown Brisbane. Thank you. Well, <laughs> we're all pretty laying low. We really are. Yeah. In, well, you know. just enjoy it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye.